Welcome to the WP Tonic This Week in WordPress and SaaS podcast, where Jonathan Denwood interviews the leading experts in WordPress, e-learning, and online marketing to help WordPress professionals launch their own SaaS. Welcome back, folks, to the This Week in WordPress and SaaS. Um, this is episode 771. I haven't got my co-host. He has gone off doing something, but he should be back next week. Um, we've got a great guest. We've got John Clark, managing partner with Moving Traffic Media. We're going to be discussing all things SEO, um, how AI, chat GBT is going to affect SEO, threads. It's going to be an all-embracing feast about online content and SEO a really important subject if you want to grow your WordPress business or your SaaS business. So, um, John, do you want to give us a quick introduction of yourself and what you do at Moving Traffic Media? Sure. Um, So, John Clark, um, one of your last guests, uh, Spencer Foreman, had a great quote. He said, leave the E off for savings. So a lot of people spell Clark with an E at the end. Um, You can leave that E off. uh, I'm the managing partner of Moving Traffic Media, as you said. Um, we specialize in uh, performance digital marketing. So uh, everything from paid search and uh, uh, display to SEO, content strategy, um, some social mixed in there as well. Um, and we specialize with uh, medium to large scale businesses, uh, primarily in um, the regulated industry space. So think about that as... Uh, healthcare, finance, um, those sorts of areas, real estate. Oh, that's great. Um, and we're based in uh, White Plains, New York, um, but we're a fully remote team. So we have uh, we have folks kind of across the U.S., uh, California, Kentucky, um, Connecticut, New York, et cetera. Oh, that's great. Should be a great discussion. Before we go into the main meat and potatoes of this great interview, we've got a couple of messages from my major sponsors. Be back in a few moments, folks. Are you looking for ways to make your content more engaging? Sensei LMS by Automatic is the original WordPress solution for creating and selling online courses. Sensei's new interactive blocks can be added to any WordPress page or post. For example, interactive videos let you pause videos and display quizzes, lead generation forms, surveys, and more. For a 20% off discount for the tribe, just use the code WPTONIC, all one word, when checking out and give Sensei a try today. Hi there, folks. It's Jonathan Denwood here, and I want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, and that's Zolo.com. If you've got a WordPress website, a membership website, and you're looking to link it with a great financial management package, Zolo can provide this solution. So all your bookkeeping needs are done through Zolo. If you need new inbox email functionality and you don't want to pay the high charges that Google will charge you, Zolo offers a great email inbox platform. They've got over 50 apps and services that all integrate fantastic with WordPress at great value levels and they almost always offer a fully functioning free product as well. So it's just amazing value. Also, if you're a WordPress developer or agency owner, 
Zolo are looking for great partnerships in the WordPress space. To get all this information, all you have to do, folks, is just go over to Zolo.com and they have the products that you're looking for. Thank you so much, Zolo, for supporting WP Tonic and the Machine Membership Shows. It's much appreciated. We're coming back, folks. I just want to point out that we've got some great special offers from some of our sponsors. Plus, we've got a curated list of the best WordPress plugins. If you're building a website for yourself or for a client and you don't want to troll the internet trying to find the best solution for your particular problem, we have a time saver. We have a created list of the best WordPress plugins. To get all these goodies, all you have to do is go over to wp-tonic.com slash deals, wp-tonic.com slash deals, and you'll find all the goodies there, folks. What more could you ask for? I don't know, but you probably can. Uh, um, so, um, John, so... What's the kind of typical day at moving traffic media for you, apart from going on strange podcasts with English-type people? <laughs> apart from that, what is the kind of typical day that you face? Yeah, um, so my typical day, you know, usually starts off with um, what I like to call like a block of like deep work. So usually from around 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, after I drop off my daughter, that time is usually... Um, pretty quiet. So that's where I try to focus in on um, big projects, um, either deliverables that are upcoming or maybe pitches that we're working on. Um, so that's really the time that I try to dedicate to those sorts of things. Uh, we're a distributed team, like I said. So um, we have learned to incorporate some things that are probably more familiar with uh, development teams. Um, one of those things for us is what we call a stand-up. Um, and in those, you know, 30 to 15 minute meetings, we typically review, uh, things that were completed, um, things that are upcoming, any blockers that we have, whether it's the team member or client. Um, and those usually take place around 1130 to 12, um, just given the time differences, um, for our team. And then the rest of the afternoon is really a mix of, um, internal, uh, training, client meetings. Um, I do a lot of writing for industry publications. So that sort of falls in that area as well. Mm. Um, and I have a very energetic five-year-old. So a lot of that really depends on what her mood is when she gets home from school or camp. So what a, what a task, um, what a task, master. <laughs> the worst type of CEO you could have. Exactly. Um, but also the most rewarding. So, uh, so yeah, my, my day is, um, you know, probably not too atypical to, um, you know, uh, any other uh, person in the agency space. So how do you, you know, obviously getting money in, um, growing the business, it's a lifeblood. How do you kind of balance short, medium, long-term objectives? And how do you measure if you're getting anywhere on the medium, long-term objectives? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think everything comes down to prioritization. I think even from client deliverables, like helping them prioritize what those things are, I think that can be applied to um, how we think about goals. Um, we, my business partner and I, um, sort of established a very 
uh, I would say, um, extensive list of, of goals um, for us as a company. Um, and they're broken down by quarter. So we sort of have um, what I'll call easily attainable goals and um, stretch goals. And we do our best to try to measure those um, each quarter and start to plan for the following goals the, the, the following quarter. And what we found for some of the more, you know, um, lofty or aggressive goals, um, sort of breaking them down into segments within quarters for the year has been something that's been really successful for us. Rather than just saying at the end of the year, we want to achieve X, um, we sort of identify what that big goal is and then try to figure out, are there components of that that we can break down per quarter? Um, And that gives us a good sense of where we'll end up at the year. So for example, if we, you know, um, if we meet that goal in Q1, but miss that follow-up goal in Q2, you know, we have a a better sense of maybe we're going to be at risk to meeting that goal at the end of the year. So it helps us, you know, reprioritize throughout the year as well. Um, And, you know, it's running a business is almost impossible to, um, to completely plan for. Um, And so that flexibility to reprioritize and, um, you know, in some cases even remove goals that we thought were important at the beginning of the year, but, but, you know, aren't so much um, in the mid or or latter part of the year has been really, uh, really impactful for us. Yeah, I think that's really insightful. I, I think that's probably a great balance, actually. Thanks for that. So um, we're halfway through 2023, which I can't believe. I don't know where the first <laughs> half has gone. I don't, know if you're, exactly. I don't know if you're feeling the same. It's just been a kind of, just a kind of dream fest, really. It's just gone. Um, I'm still surprised because I've spent a lot of time um, producing content, pushing it on various social media, various platforms, and also my content strategy for the WP Tonic website. I spend an enormous mm-hmm. amount of time and effort on it all. So I don't make a living as SEO, but as um, a so owner of a business, I spend an enormous amount of time on that. But I'm still I still was surprised the amount of disinformation and lack of knowledge around SEO really from people that are quite experienced in the WordPress or SaaS space. What are a couple of misunderstandings or I'm giving you the opportunity to clarify one or two things that regularly come on your radar that are misunderstandings about SEO and content production that you come across on on a daily, weekly basis, John? Yeah, I, you know, I think um, there's some foundational principles of, of SEO that, you know, I think have stood the test of time. Um, um, you know, there's a lot of new technologies that have come out, both from a development perspective, but also, you know, things like voice search, right, which we're going to kill SEO. Um, but the, the principles of... Um, you know, the way that I like to talk about it um, typically is it, it takes the form of a pyramid, right? Where you sort of have a the technology layer um, that is really the foundation. So, you know, if Google can't uh, index and crawl a site properly, sort of everything else doesn't matter. And then the keywords and content sort of make up that middle piece and then authority or basically links um, make up that top pyramid. 
I think that's evolved a little bit in the way that I talk about it um, to an acronym that uh, is, is CRICS, which is C-R-I-C-S. Um, and it stands for uh, crawl, render, um, index, and cache. And I think for maybe your audience, that's all things that are probably familiar from the development perspective. But crawl really means, you know, can Google crawl the website effectively? Is there proper internal linking structure? Um, are there links that are broken, right? All those good sort of um, best practice hygiene things um, that you would want to pay attention to for a site. Um, rendering. So can Google render the templates um, from the various pages of your domain? Um, there's probably a lot of uh, back and forth that, or I guess myths maybe that I've heard around uh, JavaScript and whether, whether or not search engines can uh, execute it and render it. I think this is a big um, area of contention. Google has said that they can, and then they sort of come back out and said, well, um, we don't execute it on the first crawl. We might come back when there are more resources for us to, to fully execute it. So having some sort of uh, rendering solution, if you're, you know, um, developing in a, in a, uh, a web app environment. So, you know, you, you really want to make sure that your rendering has the same text as what's shown in the browser. Um, you know, so that's kind of a, a first place to check if you're working with a heavy JavaScript site. Um, indexability. So is your content indexable? You know, very often we see uh, a site get an update and the dev environment robots.txt file gets uploaded that blocks the entire site. And of course, you know, it takes everything down. That's Happen well, that, that would be surprising. Number of times <laughs> that would be a little bit embarrassing, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's more embarrassing if we don't catch it right away. Uh, that's that's the uh, the worst situation for us. Um, and then caching. So is Google actually caching those URLs? Are they indexing them? Are they serving them for the queries that you want? So you know, there's a speaking about WordPress specifically, which is probably about ninety percent of the sites that we work with. Um, you know, there's a lot of basics that can be applied that are often missed. Um, I would say one of the first things is just setting up a, a Google Search Console account. Um, it'll give you a lot of visibility and even allow you to test some of those things within that um, uh, CRICS acronym, uh, right within that tool. And you'll sort of get Google's firsthand view of how they're engaging with your website, where they're finding issues. Um, XML sitemaps, surprisingly, are still um, oftentimes not utilized. Um, you know, create those, submit them to Google Search Console. Um, they're incredibly valuable from a discoverability perspective, meaning um, you're kind of giving Google instruction around what are the URLs you want them to, to crawl and index and actually serve to users. So that's a, a very important um, uh, signal for them about what's important to you as the, as the website owner. Um, another one that we sort of go back and forth on is, is tag pages. So probably most applicable to uh, blog content where you, you know, add a bunch of tags. I would say nine times out of 10, we no index them um, because there isn't a strong um, strategy behind them, right? You'll have various content writers who just add random tags. And over time, you get hundreds, if not thousands of tag pages that have a single post living on them. Uh, and essentially, that's really low value, low quality content. 
uh, that Google has to sort of sift through before they discover content that's actually meaningful. Um, and it can be a very bad signal. So we recommend uh, generally um, all tag pages to be no indexed. Um, and then category pages, right? Out of the out of the box from a WordPress perspective, they're often very, you know, simple. There's no sort of custom content. It's usually just a list of uh, blogs or posts that sort of live within that category. Um, so there's lots of opportunity there to improve the UX um, from yeah, organizing. Can I, ask you, uh, can I ask you a quick question? How, sure. you, view, how you view WordPress? Because you're part in that area and part out because mm-hmm. of your company's focus. Um, I still feel I might be a bit biased, but I try and keep, I try not to kid myself as much as possible. It's always difficult, isn't it? <laughs> uh, um, uh, um, like I, I like to feel I'm reasonably good looking. Oh, that's delusionary, I know. Uh, um, so, um, you know, I still think WordPress is, if you're really going to spend a lot of time on content and organic SEO, I still feel it's one of the best platforms out there. I think Wix and Squarespace have improved. Wix used to be terrible. Um, I think they've you know they have they've got a ton of money and they're thrown at it. Yeah. I think um but I still don't feel that if you're gonna spend a lot of time on content rather than uh, just purely on paid traffic, you would be best to look at the WordPress platform. Would you agree with that synopsis, or do you think you got your own take on it? Uh, I'm 100 in, in, in agreement. Um, you know, it's out of the box. It's always been one of the best SEO CMS platforms, in my opinion. Um, and you're right, Wix, Squarespace, they're very closed ecosystems um, like Shopify, although they've done a ton of investment uh, making that platform more SEO friendly, fixing some of the you know basic things that were problematic there. Uh, and you're right, Wix is investing a lot in SEO education and sort of improvements similar to what Shopify is doing. Um, but I've always found their performance to be less. Um, and you know, part of that is just that more defined ecosystem that you have to live in uh, within the CMS itself. WordPress, um, I've always found to be much more nimble, um, and the ability to manipulate the code, whether it's through a plugin or custom um, custom changes, has always been uh, really impactful from an SEO perspective. Um, and there's just so many people building on it. Um, advanced websites right and so the the um i think the community uh is also much stronger there so if you do run into an issue more than likely there's someone who's encountered it and can help uh yeah i I think the community i I didn't go this year um to WordCamp europe which was based in athens a year before um because of covid i hadn't seen my family i'm a joint uk American citizen, and because of COVID, I hadn't seen my family in the UK. So last year, I took the opportunity to go to Porto Europe, WordCamp Europe, which was held mm-hmm. in Porto. Over 3,000 
WordPress people, as I like to say, turned up there. It was a fabulous, like, three days, jolly, in Porto. It was excellent. Loved the Portuguese people. And then I flew, had a little bit of a journey, went to Scandinavia to see some friends, because I used to live in Scandinavia. And then I went to the UK, but... They, um, it was amazing that over 3,000 people turned up at uh, WordCamp. I just don't think, apart maybe Salesforce and maybe some other um, events, you just don't get that kind of turnout, do you? No. And, you know, one of the common knocks on WordPress that we hear from clients is security. But, you know... I've always been of the mindset, if you take the proper precautions for security, then it's as secure as any other website you use. Um, that may be my lack of understanding around the, the true issues there. But, you know, we worked with a lot of WordPress sites who have never been hacked, um, you know, and they're, they're big brands. And um, so I never really found that as a good... No, I think having a good partner, you know, having a good maintenance partner, having a... Um, um, I did, I'm not going to delve too in your own commercial setup, but uh, you know, having a maintenance partner and having a having the website maintained, updated. A lot of the security problems are really um, utilizing plugins. Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, do, is there kind of quarterly or? yearly audit? Do we really need this particular plugin in the mix? Is it did it come from a reputable source? Do we really need it? You know, um also there's a tendency for understandable reasons to give every Tom and Dick and Harry in the organization admin access <laughs> to the website, which isn't and there's nobody checking. Do we need you know, we need to keep these admin as low as possible, everybody else as editor. Um, and is there anybody checking like every six months or at least a year about who these admin people are? If they left the company, do we need to get rid of them? Uh, um, Do they even need admin access? Yeah, you know, this is basic, (laughs) but you'd be amazed. This is basic stuff, but uh, you'd be amazed. Uh, um, So, I think, so... Like, we've got to discuss AI, you know, and chat GPT. I've got such mixed feelings about it, John. In some ways, I'm already bored with it already. Uh, um, uh, Like everything, you know, you've got to get on board early because we're in tech. And if you're left behind, it can have some really drastically bad consequences for your business. On the other hand... Um, obviously, I don't think it's like um, um, cryptocurrency or Web3, which was, in my opinion, total nonsense. Um, uh, when it comes to blockchain, I think long-term there is something to that technology. In some strange way, it's probably going to be mixed with AI because I think consistently um, having a system that tells you where something comes from and who really owned it in the world of AI is going to become more and more important in a Mm -hmm. kind of strange way. Um, 
So, but I also, the absolute nonsense talked about AI and especially when it comes to general AI, I, I've, I am not, no expert on it, John, but it's just absolute crazy talk. But when it comes to AI, specifically when it comes to SEO, which is your speciality, I'm sure you've been spending a lot of time thinking about this. Um, how do you see it panning out in the next year, 18 months, when it comes to AI and SEO? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it's a it's a tough question because the space, to your point, is just moving so quickly. Um, you know, when when uh, ChatGPT was first released, um, the immediate you know thought for probably a lot of industries was, you know, it's gonna it's gonna kill the industry. It's gonna take over everything that we do and. Um, which was which, which was ridiculous, wasn't it? Right. Really, it's yeah. just totally um, bonkers, wasn't it? But I'll be honest, though, you know, it gave it gave me a little bit of anxiety initially, right? When you when you when you interact with it for the first time, because it's so it it, it you know when when you first use it, it is it's revolutionary, right? Like there was nothing before this that could just sort of spit out on demand, um, you know, answers like this. Um, but I would say, you know, the more that I've interacted with it and I've tried to apply it to what we do, um, you know, the answer is, is exactly what you said. It's ridiculous. It's not going to, um, well, it is and it isn't, isn't it? Um, that's the contradiction. It is (laughs) fundamentally because, um, Google was utilized, you know, the, the way, um, obviously the old, the way the two founders Google, you know, when they when they took over from Yahoo and Vista in a very quick period of time, dominated search and for the past twenty years still dominate it. You know, the actual the technology, the spider, but the fundamental basis of utilizing external links monitoring factors about how people actually measure or rate your content is still there. But then they utilize language models themselves because it's just, exactly. it's because people were just scamming it. You know, people became expert about utilizing link farms, other technologies to get around this kind of, you know, some people say black hat, but, you know, it's not criminality, is it? it this is just a commercial company, isn't it? So I use, I prefer grey hat myself. Uh, um, but, you know, it was having a really effect on them, wasn't it? All these link farms, these these networks that you could pay and they would build up a whole, and they're still there, aren't they, to some extent, but... So then they they went to their language models, didn't they? They had the, um, and so they've relied on that more and more and more. But that's a but AI is a direct threat because it's utilising the same technology that they were utilising to index. Am I on the right track here? Because I'm not an expert. Like yeah, you. I mean, I think that's the crux of it, right? Like if you expect to be able to just pop in a in a prompt. Um, output a big piece of content and run it through an AI detection tool, like a, I don't know, originality AI or something. 
and have it come yeah, back. I've got things that they, I don't, <laughs> I'm not even sure. I think they're taking money. I'm telling yeah. you my opinion. I have my certain doubts about that service, don't you? But, you know, manipulating that piece of content to where it comes back as human readable, I mean, it's, it's and just assuming that, it, that Google won't be able to tell when they've been using these machine learning models you know, long before GPT was was released, um, I think is just highly unlikely. And so there's, you know, I think if you think about some of the the um, implementations that Google has rolled out, uh, specifically around the what they call the the, the, the Eat framework, so expertise, uh, authoritativeness, trustworthiness, and they're using these manual sort of quality raters to actually visit web pages, evaluate that content based on these criteria. Um, and this document is available online. Like Google, you know, clearly breaks down what sort of falls into that requirement. Um, and then even in December of uh, 2022, they added an additional E to that framework, which was experience. Um, meaning, can you, within your content or video or images, can you physically show that you've interacted with a product that you're reviewing, for example. Um, and those things are, you know, chat GPT or, or these, these models can't necessarily do that, um, at least not yet. Um, and so, you know, I think there is still a, a deep requirement for um, editorial review, maybe even control is a better word, of content that's going up on your site. Um, can you use GPT to um, influence or get you to that end result faster? Of course. Um, I think that's where there's a big advantage to it is the efficiency. Well, well, I just point out, based on the WordPress, I'm going to put two points to you and get a response from you, and then we go sure. through and we do break, break. Number one point, in the WordPress space, which is dominated by by plugins, by hosting and plugin companies. They're the main two areas that make money in WordPress. Yeah. In the plugin space, there's one particular company that has built up a reputation for Grey Hat SEO. If you put in any search for any kind of popular plugin solution in the WordPress space, this particular company's articles, they have about for about three to four major websites that dominate um, search, almost any search, and they have a, a library of, of about 15 to 20 plugins that they've bought from various mm. developers. And they've built, um, it's very shallow content. Um, they've built, they built this over about eight, nine-year basis, John. They're a notorious company, you know, the founder really have got no time for. Um, he doesn't like me either, John. <laughs> uh, um, he's personally tried to sue me a couple of times for things I've said about him. Um, but um, it is what it is, and it, it's really shallow content, but at enormous industrial volume. Um where he's used offshore and low-quality mm. content to dominate the sector, which there's nothing illegal about it. You know, it is what it is. So um, I don't I don't really see the difference between what AI can produce and the kind of low-quality content 
that was offshore that he was producing, really. Mm. Um, I also think that probably Google's going to look at what I call influence. Are you? It's a terrible term, really. Are you an influencer in your particular sector? They're going to look for, does that person have a podcast? Does that person produce regular video? Does that person... Um, on social media talk about the subject that they're writing about on their website. They're going to look at a kind of organic um, um, look at your, which is a regular term in SEO, isn't it? But I I, I mean it in a more broader sense, your domain authority, your subject authority. Do you think I'm on the right track there? Yeah, I think I think that's part of that framework, right? Like, is that person rightly or wrongly um, trustworthy in that vertical? And that trustworthiness may not be um, for them specifically, but the persona, right, through content or sites that they own or you know plugins within that vertical, um, all of those things sort of point to um, a level of trustworthiness with the content that they create. So um, I think in some cases, you know, that, that low quality content or that um, weak content uh, created offshore or something like that can sort of slip through the filters. Um, And I think, I think that's where Google's one of Google's biggest challenges with, um, you know, GPT coming out in general is how do they manage for it? They've had to come out and say that they, um, you know, uh, accept AI generated content, but then they had to sort of say, you know, provided that it's manually reviewed and is um, helpful, if you will. And, you know, I think sites like that over time will get caught up in, um, the improvements in the algorithms that Google is going to be forced to, to release. So in some cases, we've seen sites like that survive a very long time. And then an algorithm update will come out and they literally just drop off a cliff. Mm. So, yeah, I see where you're coming from. I've got some comments about what you just outlined. Sure. Um, but we've got to go for our middle break. Um, we'll, we're going to go for our middle break, folks, and then we'll continue. got some observation on what John's just said. And we've got, we're going to be talking about threads for Meta as well. Uh, um, should be a great discussion in the second half of the show, folks. We will be back in a few moments, folks. Hey, it's Spence from LaunchFlows.com. If you've been looking for a fast and easy way to create powerful sales funnels on WordPress, then look no further than LaunchFlows. In just minutes, you can easily create instant registration, upsells, downsells, order bumps, one-click checkouts, one-time offers, custom thank you pages, and best of all, no coding is required. For as little as $50 per year, you can own and control your entire sales funnel machine with Launch Flows. Get your copy today. This podcast episode is brought to you by Lifter LMS the leading learning management system solution for WordPress. If you or your client are creating any kind of online course, training-based membership website, or any type of e-learning project, Lifter LMS is the most secure, stable, well-supported solution on the market. 
Go to LifterLMS.com and save 20% at checkout with coupon code PODCAST20. That's PODCAST20. Enjoy the rest of your show. We're coming back. We've had a bit of a diversity. I was looking forward to this. Uh, um, uh, um, but before we go into the second half of the show, folks, I just want to point out, if you're looking for a great hosting provider that specializes in membership and community-focused websites, why don't you look at what WP Tonic? We've got over 15 years with knowledge in the WordPress space, which a lot of hosting companies don't have. And we, like I say, specialize in these type of websites. We've got some fabulous partner um, plans. For if you're building websites for clients, you can find a great deal of in, information by going over to wp-tonic slash partners, wp-tonic.com slash partners. And why don't you become a partner with WP Tonic? We'd love you to become part of the tribe. So a couple of observations. Um my memory can help me out here. Uh, um, it's just, um, I think I can understand, because we had this kind of scary moment um, where I think kind of um, people in the SEO industry kind of soiled their pants around voice search yeah. because, because it was going to, oh, no, nobody's going to search. I think what I think what a lot of people take is the kind of there's all types of searches at different stages of the buying 100%. process. Uh, I think I had a pop at a certain co- company in the f- first half of the show. I didn't identify them because I don't want to be sued by them actually, John, because <laughs> they already don't like me. Uh, um, but. They appeal to beginners because there's so many plugins. You know, you do a search and there's a particular plugin. They list websites. They list the various plugins, and I mm. do similar content. It's aimed at beginners, people doing general searches, and then because um, to produce really. So this. There's a lot of sectors that have that kind of beginner start, I call it the starting buying process content. I'm interested, was, would you agree how I kind of um, describe that type of content? And then the, how do you, got any insights about how you build content and what type of content for the people that slightly further on the buying process, that more deeper type of content. I think a lot of site owners struggle with building out that deeper content. Is that making any sense to you, John? Yeah, I think it does. Um, I think part of that is, you know, if, if you go through a traditional SEO process, there's a, you know, a, a keyword research exercise and, you know, a big part of that research is identifying keywords that quote unquote have like really high search volume. And, you know, historically, right? Like that's what SEOs would recommend. Like, oh, this keyword has a lot of high search volume. So that's what we should target. But in most cases, um, that keyword is upper funnel, right? There, there's usually a very mm. strong correlation between search volume, 
upper funnel, low search volume, right? Like someone's near the conversion point. And so um, I think part of it is getting out of that, you know, um, or, or, or maybe being a little bit more willing to look at keywords that are lower search volume. Um, because that's typically where there's a higher intent, um, right? You're, you're sort of getting past the person who's just doing the very broad, you know, research and, and, um, consideration. And you can do that with content, um, in what we would call a hub and spoke model where you have sort of the primary topic, which is the upper funnel content. And that can support the big search volume, but you build, um, uh, legs or spokes off of that main hub that cover all the surrounding components of it. So in a sense, you're um, sort of nurturing someone uh, through their individual stages until the point at which they're they're ready to make the conversion. So, you know, just for simplicity's sake, maybe the um, maybe the upper funnel term is plugin. Um, but I'm only concerned with SEO plugins. So that's kind of a, a, a spoke off of that. Um, and then there's all, a myriad of SEO plugins within that hub, right? So there's site speed content, you know, um, site maintenance, uh, um, optimization, like all these different hubs off of that. But ultimately, you want to get someone to the point where they're ready to convert. So if you create that content um, for all those different pathways, and then as they get a little bit further down, looking for a specific plugin. Uh, that'll meet their needs, having that call to action right there to, you know, allow them to purchase the plugin or download it, you know, well, I think, I think that conversion point is. I don't know if you agree with this, because I, I think people kind of, if they find your content on the website and they're, they're, they're really interested or at some stage, they tend to gorge, they tend to stay on the website and look over and it's the same on your YouTube channel or your podcast if people find it interesting, they tend to gorge on it, don't they? They feast on it, you know. Um, but I, I think, I don't know if, because you're the one that deals with a load of clients, not me. I'm just making educated guesses. God help me. Um, I would imagine white paper, depending if it's business, business, maybe not so much. Well, in a way, it depends what you call it. White papers, downloadable lead magnets. Um, webinars, mini webinars. Um, I also think doing like freebie small courses and offering them as lead magnets. Um, yeah. They're the type of things that take more investment, but I think if done in a way that's still effective, or am I kidding myself, John? No, I think that's right. And I think those, those various tactics can be applied throughout that funnel of content, right? So someone may not be ready to sign up for the webinar um, until you've convinced them uh, further up in the funnel that they should sit through that 30-minute or 60-minute webinar. So if you can sort of nurture them into the next phase of their buying journey and then prompt them for the webinar, um, get them into the webinar funnel, um, and then maybe the next point is the conversion. So you have you sort of have the introductory content that maybe is a white paper, right? Uh, download, which is a little bit more sort of informational. I can digest it on my own while I'm still doing my research. Uh, and then when I come back, um, you know, the next phase is to actually get educated. So the webinar is a great uh, conversion point there. And then ultimately, if I've done my research, if I'm educated and I'm ready to make a decision, 
you know, then the prompt is, you know, whatever that, that primary KPI is. So I think there, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to solicit information from a user, depending on what your goals are and aligning those with, uh, what a user is ready to give up, um, from an information perspective with that, with that content and with that journey. Um, you know, that's the holy grail of getting someone to ultimately do what you want them to do. So thanks for that. Let's move on to Fred's and um, influencer marketing, maybe. You know, yeah. Fred's, um, you know, I've consistently, I hate and love Twitter in the same breath. <laughs> I, I, I've um, been the victim of outrageous um, stuff on Twitter and also. Yeah, you know, I was uh, I was attacked totally unfairly um, about a year ago by a, a crowd that I totally I won't I won't go on the rant, but I've also benefited benefited from it. Um, um, but if you've ever been exposed to one of these um, troll farms, it does leave a really bad taste in your mouth that goes on for many years, but it diminishes. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, um, so, friends, um, what do you, you know, but also um, in in the membership um, creator market, one of the biggest competitors to WordPress is Kajabi. Um, fabulous company, fantastic founders, and really know how to market their product. Um, they they utilise influencer marketing, offered really fabulous affiliate, special affiliate deals for a small band of highly influenced, influential um, influencers in the kind of creative membership area. And really, um, you know, if you do any search about building a membership, a community website, um, Kajabi will turn up because it's got like a thousand people talking about it on YouTube who are all on affiliate packages. Um, so is that something you, you know, what's your feeling? Because I, I, is Fred's, you know, Zuckerberg, do you think it's going to become a big player? Um, I suppose it already has, isn't it? Because got, they've got over a billion, but that's linked to... Um, its linkage to other meta products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think in some senses it, it's it, it's a little too soon to tell um, its impact on Twitter. <laughs> um, you know, they 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 have hit a hundred million users faster than any app or social platform. And I think it's a spine bending, isn't it? It's a absolutely, spine. absolutely insane. Um, but you know, the the flip side of that is um, I believe it was similar web put out a, a recent study that showed that that engagement has already started to taper off. And, you know, if memory serves correctly, I think that was only limited to Android users, but I think you could argue that it's probably the same for iPhone. Um, part of it could be just, it was the shiny new thing. People poured into it to just poke around at window shop, if you will, um, decide maybe it wasn't for them and, and, and left. Um, but I think the other thing to consider is, you know, if you actually interact with the app, there's a lot of sort of basic functionality that I think is missing. So for example, you can't, 
you know, save a thread um, to, to go back and revisit. Um, there isn't really a great sort of search functionality. Is it, is it all say that it's like most things in life, John, it's a contradiction. The, the thing that people dislike about Twitter is the thing that they love about Twitter, drama. <laughs> You know, yeah. if you remove an obviously better saying, well, we're going to remove the drama. Well, if you remove the drama, uh, um, you're removing the reason why people use the bleeding platform. Is, is there anything to you that? Know, I, I, found, I find Facebook can be a very um, drama-filled space as well. I imagine Instagram. I, I, don't, I don't sort of spend a lot of time in the comments on Instagram like I do with Twitter and Facebook, even Reddit. Um, I imagine that drama is transferable across social platforms. I, I, you know, I don't have any data or even personal interaction to say whether that's true on threads yet, but I, I would be shocked if it didn't transpire in, in some way. So I think what will be the most interesting is when uh, Zuckerberg decides to turn on monetization of, of the app. Yeah. And I think that's where um, we'll really see the impact on Twitter. Like, are Twitter advertisers going to take uh, that advertising budget from Twitter and shift it over to Threads, especially if they're seeing success in Instagram and Facebook um, already? And um, you know, there's he must also increase. You know, obviously, I'm imagining it's been a big, big discussion in in the top echelons of, of Meta. This, you know, it's a two-edged sword, this, you know, the, the, the lacks of, you know, you can utilise more money for the uh, his virtual world building. <laughs> uh, um, but it does really put a red flag to the regulators, doesn't it, even more, doesn't it? I, I would have to think, but in this case, you know, they didn't buy anything. They just created it. So... That's a first, isn't it? <laughs> but, I, mean, I mean, they're they're the masters of copying, right? I mean, they basically took every feature Snapchat rolled out and added it to Instagram. So those things are hard to regulate from a from a regulator perspective. Um, could you break up Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp? Uh, there's probably others I'm forgetting. Could you? Could they? You know, push for that probably, but I don't think there's been. I think the opportunity, if they wanted to do that, was um, during the whole election, um, uh, you know, data privacy issues, and it wasn't able to be accomplished then. And now I don't know what leg they have to stand on. There's no big crisis or you know thing that at be, least we I, know about. So I, I, I kind of because um, I'm the main producer of content for my business, I have to really be, I have to always find a balance um, because I can get really sucked in and I've learned the hard way that you've got to keep a balance when it comes to social media where you're you're there, but you don't get too sucked in. Because I know people, obviously if you're a reporter or you're a social influencer that's your business model. That's how you, you know, you are going to be on Twitter. But I know people in the WordPress community, I don't know how they do any bloody work uh, because <laughs> they're always on bloody Twitter all the time. Right. But I just come to the conclusion that they're on there because it builds relation and they get work. People 
agency owners, other people that like their attitude, throw them a few bones. And that's why they're always on there. Uh, um, I, I just come to that conclusion, John, because um, they're always on there. They're always remarking and talking about somebody, something or somebody where I I just haven't got the bandwidth to do that or the inclination to do that, John. Yeah, you know, it, it could be that they're scheduling posts they may have a team who's actually doing it and then, you know, crafting the content, they approve it, it gets scheduled. So it looks like they're heavily active. Um, maybe they jump in during the day and respond to a couple of things so that it you know looks more human. Um, I don't know. Um, there's, um, I definitely don't have that much time to spend on, on Twitter every day. So you're right. Uh, there are some folks I'm just like, wow, that's, how do I mean, they do it? That's that's part of their brand. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, but you know, I have heard a lot of success stories, Twitter specifically, around uh, you know building those relationships, getting work from it. Um, you know, uh, so it, it's definitely a valuable platform, and maybe that justifies the the time spent there. I'm not sure. I quite like. I I, I spend a bit of time posting on um, LinkedIn. Um, mm-hmm. I still spend a quite. Um, I put more video up on on Twitter. Um, because I produce a lot of video every week. Um, yeah. I just try and spread it around, but I, I try and guard myself getting too... It's finding that balance where you've got to be on those platforms and you've got to provide value, but don't get too sucked in. Um, it's difficult. So let's move on. So if you had a time machine, obviously I, I'm from England, so I was into Doctor Who and the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. So if you had if you had your own time machine, your own TARDIS, and you could go back at the beginning when you were a young man, you're still looking pretty good, actually, John. But if you were a young <laughs> man and you could get you could just tell yourself one or two bits of advice, what would you say to yourself? Um. Probably two things come immediately to mind. I think one that I did follow and maybe one that I didn't. Um, You know, growing up, there were a few people in my close sort of family that, you know, were constantly saying, you know, what if I did that? Or, you know, what if this? And and that sort of influenced me to uh, take a mindset that I, you know, if, if I had an important decision to make, um, I would ask myself that question. If I don't do this um, and look back in 10 years, and am I going to say what if? And I think that approach um, really prevented me from saying no to moving across the country to California uh, for a job opportunity. And that single decision, um, you know, allowed me to meet probably the most influential person in my life, who is uh, Jack Abbott. Um, he sort of became a, a a boss initially, a mentor after, and sort of taught me a great deal about just running an agency, um, how to do client service. Um, I'd like to say, you give you give an air of relaxed confidence, actually. You, you don't, for somebody that's been running an SDO agency for quite a while, you just seem to relax, John. <laughs> and normally they, twi- they Twitter, they Twitch quite a lot, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of, a lot of good training. Um, you know, and then, you know, I, I, I kept that mantra and, 
you know, moved to New York and, you know, that was sort of the single sort of turning point in my career. I think, um, definitely a lot of other important relationships in my life, but I think that's one that, you know, having that mindset allowed me to, to, um, to experience. Um, and the second one is I, I have said for many years that I want to learn how to code, like properly code. Um, and I just never did it. I took, I took a class here and there. Um, but what I would tell myself in earlier years is, you know, dedicate, you know, um, maybe not a degree, but definitely dedicate time to learn how to um, properly uh, code. Is it, is it, I just want to remark, um, you brought up something that I've been thinking a bit about over the last couple of years. Um, I think, obviously, I'm in the membership training um, area, community area. Um, I think traditional higher education, and you've seen this with the traditional model companies, what mm-hmm. happened in COVID, um, accelerated the process. Um, obviously, you, you said your your company's distributed. Uh, um, obviously, in the WordPress, it, it's been going on for years. Most WordPress agencies, automatic is... A, since it's founding, it's been a distributed company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, people say, well, how do you have a company culture? How do you promote thing? So what I'm getting around to is I think kind of building, it's a very banded term, and I'm sure because of that it will become meaningless, but I think there's something there. How do you build community in some ways that is the purpose of a university or a, joining a course because it, it says right. if you don't meet, if you don't get off your ass and do the coursework, you're going to get you're going to get a bit of a beating from from the lecturer to some extent, um, and you coughed up a load of money and you're not you're not going to get a bit of that paper at the end of of the freaking degree, right? And you'd be marked as a failure for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> Whatever, you know, be stamped on your forehead, loser, right? Uh, um, and, um, but being part of that community, being part of a group, because when um, most people say that um, their, their lecturers are useless, they really learn through their other students, you know. Yep. Um, but it does motivate. Trying to do something on your own and keep motivated when you, uh, I think, um, oh, what's his name, the purple cow guy, um, what's his name, um, said you hit, you hit that plateau, you always learn something and then there's a bit of a dive and mm-hmm. you really then got to grit your teeth and, push through and I think having a community around you helps with that so I think the big thing is building these kind of community things are going to be the biggest area in the next few years I haven't expressed it very well but I'm still trying to grasp it myself what do you reckon John so if I understood the correct uh, the question, yeah, that was a that was a ramble, wasn't it? That really was a ramble, wasn't it? <laughs> was it more about sort of you know how do we as a distributed team uh, you know create a um uh, like a a culture within our agency? 
it's, yeah, and it's yeah. the same thing with learning something in higher education, isn't it? And um, yeah. trying to learn a new skill. You said you you wanted to learn programming, and then you've done a few. But I think if you're a part of a community and mentorship and pushing it a little bit when it got tough and you could go to somebody, you'd be able to push through a bit more effectively. Definitely, definitely. Um, and, you know, just just through my career, I've been surrounded by, you know, uh, a lot of smart people. Um, and my time at Razorfish was probably the most influential from a development perspective because um, we were building the websites and, you know, there was an SEO team attached to that development team. And so um, I was heavily exposed to um, the language to, you know, writing user stories and submitting them to Jira. And so I have um, a lot of elements that sort of surround um, the development role, I guess, that has allowed me to um, interact with developers in a much more meaningful way that without that, I, I, I probably wouldn't be as successful like selling a recommendation in to a developer who may not see the value in it. Um, I think that's a, a, a very niche skill in, in the SEO space. It's not just about the recommendation, but how do you uh, illustrate it to someone who may not see the value? Um, and, and explain it in a way that they understand. Um, that's a and, very that's a very diplomatic way of dealing with bolshy developers, isn't it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, never, never um, bolshy developer that thinks. He's but yeah, I think if if I had gone to a, a proper course um, or, or you know gotten that certificate or degree or something like that, I probably would have had a better community to to ping those things off of. Um, I will say, Twitter is a good resource for that. Um, well, yeah, that's probably one thing. Well, it's got its dark it, yeah. side, but it's got its good side. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. I think we're going to wrap it up now. You dealt with my. I rambled on, especially that last question, wasn't it? <laughs> it, had about, it had about six different parts to it. Oh my Godfathers. I think I kept on the subject with the rest of it, didn't I, John? But that last yeah, question. Yeah, um, I don't think we're going to ask you six because if I. So I've just asked you five questions in one question already. Uh, um, so, John, what's the best way for people to find out more about you and your agency and what it's got to offer? Yeah. Um, so to find out about the agency, uh, movingtrafficmedia.com. Um, we have uh, services, case studies. Um, you can reach out to me directly at John, J-O-N, at movingtrafficmedia.com um, or happy to to catch up with you on Twitter at John Lee Clark, J-O-N-L-E-E-C-L-A-R-K. Um, and uh, yeah, those are the best places to get a hold of me. That's fantastic. Um, folks, if you want to join the work, the um, WP Tonic community, we've got a fabulous Facebook group. I regularly, I am now regularly posting every day my thoughts on that. Maybe that's a reason not to join it, but go over. It's called the Membership Machine Show group. Go over there. We talk about membership, community, and WordPress. What more could you ask for? John, you have to come back on the show. Hopefully you've been, you've dealt with Love my to. rambling quite well. I think we've had a fabulous discussion, a bit 
bit different than the normal discussion around SEO, I think. I think it's been fantastic. Hopefully you decide to come back at some stage. We will be back next week. I've got to say, folks, I've got some fabulous guests in August. Always a quiet month. I've managed to get some really, like John, some fabulous people. We're going to be talking about SaaS and WordPress. What more could you ask for, folks? We will be back soon. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. We really do appreciate it. Why not visit the Mastermind Facebook group? And also to keep up with the latest news, click wp-tonic.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you next time.